It's such a privilege to share about Jesus. It's such a privilege, an honour, that God has chosen us for himself. And he's, he's chosen to show himself through us, us feeble, weak, in ourselves things. And he takes us and he uses us and he changes us. And I want to thank Pam for her testimony. Because one of the things about being a Christian is, though we might say, I made a decision to follow Jesus, we find not very long after we become Christians and we start looking in the Bible, we find that it was any, nothing to do with us in the end. We find it was him. And what happened to Pam was that the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit, some people liken him to the bloodhound of God. He'll get his people every time. <laughs> and he seeks us out and he puts something in our hearts. He puts a dissatisfaction to make us turn to him. And that's happened to every one of us who know him. He does something in us, doesn't he? He changes our wills. Once upon a time, you couldn't have got some people in this room into a church. It was the last thing on their minds. Never was the only thing on their minds <laughs> to do God's will. Because he does it, doesn't he? It is such a miracle. It's this, this is the greatest miracle. Because every other miracle that we see is only temporary. People healed. And God doing miraculous things on earth. And all the miraculous things he does in our lives, they themselves are only temporary. But what he does, and the miracle in the new birth, is eternal. And that's the most wonderful thing. So I, I thought Luke was going to take all my sermon this morning. Because <laughs> I wanted to explain, why, why do we use such a funny word called baptism? Where is it, what does it mean? What's the history of it? Why do people baptise people? Well, I'll just, let's do the word baptism first. Why in your Bible do you have the word baptism? Well, when they were translating the Bible into, from Greek into English, at the time of James, when the New Testament was translated, the churches, the church, which was the Church of England and the Catholic Church, sprinkled people didn't baptise them, they sprinkled them with water. And the trouble with the word baptism is it means immersion. So if they'd have put the word immersion in and called him John the Immerser, <laughs> they would have got in serious trouble. So they decided, what we'll do, we'll just use the Greek word and transliterate it into English, from baptizo into baptist, baptize. So that's what they did, because of the political and religious scene at the time. They decided they wouldn't change it because it was, there were a number of things they did which were like that because of the political, like, no, political correctness, they had religious correctness. And so that's the reason why we don't have the, the reason why we have the word baptism instead of the word immersion. And that's what it means. It means to immerse, to submerge completely. And as Luke was saying, it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the Old Testament, where they immerse people in washing. They washed. Now, he, he said that there was a picture, and I didn't, have, I didn't go for this picture. 
there's a picture of Noah's flood, where there was evil on the earth and bought, bought water and very successfully got rid of all the evil. Didn't he? All the people who were against him were, 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 were got rid of. And that was a baptism. And also, and there's, there's, there's quite a few other ones we see. So those are really interesting pictures of how it, it talks about washing. When we had the word, when they had the laver, when you came before the temple in the, old, in, the te in the temple in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem, there was a big laver made of bronze, which speaks of judgment, but that speaks of washing the water. It speaks of washing. So it, it that was a re if you wanted to become a Jew and you were a Gentile, there were three things you had to do. You had to be circumcised, if you were a man. Very difficult if you are a woman. Um, you had to be baptised and you had to have a sacrifice. And those three things had to happen for you to be initiated into the Jewish faith. And there were lots of people, Gentile proselytes. And they, they, beca they became, and that was one of, the re one of the things they did, they baptised them. So when John the Baptist or John the Immerser came along baptising for repentance because of Jesus' coming and he was coming along and he was preparing the way, he baptised a baptism of repentance because the Messiah's coming. If you read his verses and the things he said to them, he was pretty straight with them. He was telling them, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to change your way of life, you are not living right, there's someone coming after me, he said. And he, let's look at that verse in John. Oh, let's look in Luke. So we'll start in Luke first, Luke 3, which, which describes what John was doing. We've got quite a few verses today. Luke 3. And you'll find the same thing in the beginning of Matthew and Mark. Luke 3, 16. we just look at that one. Luke 3, 16. They, he was, they were wondering whether he was the, the Messiah in verse 15. And he answered and said unto them, I indeed baptise you with water, or I immerse you with water, but one mightier than I cometh the latchet or the shoelace, who, of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, for he shall baptise you, or he will immerse you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. So he's, he's looking forward, he's just come as a, a forerunner of Jesus, to prepare the way of Jesus, to get people's hearts right. A number of the disciples were followers of John and they moved on when Jesus came along and they moved on and started following Jesus. And quite a lot of them did that. Um, one, uh, why was John baptising in a river? Well, we, I spoke before about living water. You have lots of different waters. They have cisterns under, the, under their houses where they catch water from the rain, they would put it under, and they found huge cisterns right next in, in Jerusalem. They were there, that, 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 was, that was just water that was collected in it, but that was stale and stagnant. That could be used when there was a, a need, but there was a different waters. And one of the main rings was living water, and living water was little water that was moving. So when they went down to the Pool of Siloam, the Pool of Siloam is where the the river, the little spring, the Gion Spring, which was outside the walls, and Hezekiah made a tunnel underneath. You can go there today, walk along this tunnel where the water runs along through the bottom of them, and it goes into the Pool of Siloam. 
That's why it's called mean scent. It means the water has been sent from the spring through this tunnel underneath the walls and into the city so they didn't have to go outside to get water. And it was the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the water was sent. And that was the water that they poured out. When Jesus, remember when Jesus stood up in a temple in John 7? And I spoke about this on the, 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 about when we were talking about Passover. In John 7, 38, he said... What they were doing, they poured water out as a sacrifice on the altar and they poured blood, uh, wine at the same time and they mixed together on the altar and they poured this out. And at that point, Jesus stood up and he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth out on me, out of his belly, he said, out of his shall flow rivers of living water. So he's talking about living water. He's not talking about stagnant water. They could have gone down underneath the temple, because there were huge, you know, by the side of the temple, there were huge cisterns full of water. But they never used that. They had to go all the way down, quite a way down, to get this living water. And St. Jesus gives us living water. It springs up inside us. It's a spring welling up. He said inside us. what he said to the woman at the well, didn't he? She said, I'll be springing up, or living water into everlasting life. That's what we have. So this is what he's talking about, this washing of living water. That's why he baptised in the Jordan, because it was moving living water. So they were being baptised into the repentance, a living repentance, a repentance not just in their head, but a living repentance, that a whole life was supposed to change. In, in, in re, and the whole thinking was supposed to be changed as, as they were thinking about the Messiah coming. Jesus commanded um, oh yes, if you look at, in John uh, 1, 29, if we say this, the, same, the same thing, he says, um, I, he, well, it's the start at 36, and here you can see the link here. I baptise with water, but there is one standing among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, for whose shoes latch it are not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Beth Bahara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, or washes away the sin of the world. So it's the same picture. Jesus washing away the sin of the world. That's why he says he's the Lamb of God who washes away, takes away the sin of the world. So it's not the baptism itself that takes away the sin of the world, but it's that... It's the blood of Christ that takes away our sin. But it's a picture. And we get a wonderful picture uh, in, uh, in a minute. We'll look at that. It, because in, remember in, uh, at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, we, talk, we get Jesus telling us that we need to do what we did this morning. Um, 28, 19. Just going through a few verses which talk about baptism. 28.19, at the end of his life, after he risen from the dead, and he's talking to the disciples, and he says in verse 19, the end of, right at the end of Matthew, go ye therefore teaching all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So that was the command of Jesus, to baptise them, because it was a picture, same idea of the Jews, a, a Gentile being baptised, coming into the Jewish faith, that we being baptised come into Christ, into this new life, in this new faith. So it's a picture. 
And uh, they did that, if we, if we just only have to turn over to Acts 2.38, we see that's exactly what the church did. Um, what is, when, they, when they were, this is 2.38, at the end of his sermon, and they said they were, they were pricked in their hearts, exactly the same as we get pricked in our hearts about our sin and that we've done wrong, the Holy Ghost was working on the crowd, and they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission or the washing of our sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that's right at the beginning of the church, the first day of the church, this is what happened. And so that's why we baptise people. Now, people weren't baptised like that in this country until the Baptists came along, the Anabaptists, and they started baptising people, and they were very much persecuted. Um, but, it's, but as people, things have moved on, and, you know, most people now begin to accept that this is probably a better way. And I, when my, my, my wife goes to an Anglican church, and they have a paddling pool at the front of the church, and they baptise people in a paddling pool. So even the Church of England, in, a, in, in the more evangelical or spirit-filled churches, they baptise people because it's a picture of what's happened to us. And we get, in, in the Old Testament, we get pictures of what, as like Luke has said about the, the Noah, Sark, was a picture of baptism. And there's another bigger picture, a really wonderful picture, and let's have a look at that. It talks about it in, um, I think it's one... Corinthians 10.2. I don't know if it's one, I've just got Corinthians down. <laughs> no, I am right, it's one Corinthians. He said, he's talking to the Corinthian church, a church at Corinth, Paul has written this letter to them. Moreover, brethren, that's all the people in the church, I would not that you be ignorant how that our fathers, that's the Jewish people, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptised unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So here is a picture of history again which shows a picture of what, hap what has happened to us. These things prefigure their pictures, their types. So if we go back then, we have to go back to Exodus now and see what he's talking about. So let's go back to Exodus 13. Now we all know the story about how the Jews were in Egypt for 400 years. They went down in Egypt, and if you watched, if you've ever watched sort of Prince, there's lots of stories. What was the one called? Um, the the uh, Disney one. Prince of Egypt. The story is very similar. Joseph, amazing technicolor. Where Joseph went down into Egypt. They went down into Egypt. They were there for 400 years. And there was, came a king who didn't know Joseph and didn't know what, you know, and they turned them into slaves because they were concerned that these people would rise up. They were getting, they were so prolific and they were, right, they, they were worried that they were going to come and take over the land. And so it's no different than we have nowadays, is it? When we have, we've got people saying, oh, we've got all these people coming into our country and they're going to take us over. It's the same feeling that they had, they thought, well, these Jews are going to, we've let them, live, let them live in the country, now they're going to take over, and they're going to do, you know, we're not, we're, they're going to be more than us. So they turned them into slaves to stop them from doing this, and we can read that story. And they were into bondage. They were completely under their authority. They couldn't do anything without them asking, 
and, and when things weren't right, they made it even work harder. So they were under complete bondage. And this is the same picture for us. When we're not with Christ, we're under bondage. And even the children who were born then, they didn't know what freedom was. That was what they had. They, what they were born into was what they expected to be. They didn't know that there was a freedom outside. They didn't know what it was like to live a freedom. And that's what the same as us. When we were born, we, didn't, we don't really know the freedom of the life of God until we come into it. And it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? That's what happens to us. So, let's read in Exodus 13, 17, and we can see what it means. We can look at the cloud first. What does it mean to be baptised in the cloud? Right, 13, 17. Uh, well, that's, well, we can go, go further on. Let's go a bit further on. Um, verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and he led them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light, to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of cloud by night, nor the pillar of fire sorry, by day, or the pillar of fire by night, from before the people. Now here is an interesting little bit. The, the cloud then, they followed this cloud. There was a pillar of cloud in the day, and a pillar of fire at night, and they followed this. But they were very surprised <laughs> where it went, because it ended up at the edge of the Red Sea. Now, if you know, this is in the Gulf of Aqaba, and the, there's a, a very, very large sandy beach, surrounded by mountains with a, a narrow track, well, not very narrow, but a, a way coming down to this track. Now, we, we can see that they came, and that's where the Holy Spirit, by this, the, the, this, this pillar of fire, and a pillar of cloud led them to, led them to a seaside. Now that'll be fine if we had buckets and spades, but that really wasn't what they were there for. <laughs> they weren't there for the beach. <laughs> Let's go on a bit further and have a look in the next chapter. Uh, sorry, further on in the chapter, at 17. Sorry, sorry, Exodus, sorry 13, 20, sorry, 13, 20, is it? Oh no, it's the next chapter, so I'm getting confused here. Oh yes, here we are. Uh, that's it. Here we go. And uh, he says, he came after them in chapter 14, and he led them along in verse 19, let's go to verse 19. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all night. So the cloud which was by the seashore and had led them down, went right through, and they all went, the cloud went through them, over them, and they were baptised in the cloud. They were, they were immersed in the cloud as it went over them and stood between them and the Egyptians. You see that? That's what, so that's what it means by being baptised in the cloud. 
they were baptized in the cloud. The cloud, they were immersed in the cloud as it went past, went over the camp and stood between them and the Egyptians. And that's what God does with us. He's, he's, he keeps our enemies at bay, doesn't he? And he was darkness to them and lightness to the, to the children of Israel. Isn't that a wonderful picture of our God? So they stopped them coming down because there was mountains and this narrow way down and God stood in the gap there and stopped them from coming down and destroying them. So that was how they were. And so go into 19 and 20. That's right. Now, we also see that they went in the water. In 21, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall upon them on their right hand and on their left. So here they're walking through the sea. So they're baptised in the sea. And this is a wonderful thing, isn't it? They went through the sea. The east wind came and it was like a wall either side and they went through the sea and they ended up the other side. Now, the, 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 uh, the pillar of fire and thing was still holding the Egyptians back. But then the, at the, as they went across, the pillar of fire and thing came across with them. And then the Egyptians came after them and they decided. Now, there weren't a few. There were 600 of their elite and there were thousands of troops. There were thousands, I reckon, who were coming after them. And let's go and see what happened. 27 and 28. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea turned to its strength. When the morning appeared, the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, and they remained not so much as one of them. You see? The whole of their enemies were gone. They, God said, you won't see them again. Well, they did see a few laying on the beach dead, but they won't see any of them alive, not one of them. And they were removed completely from Egypt, from the land of Egypt. They couldn't go back. God said, we're coming this way, because if you go the other way and just go up the coast, you can repent and go back, he says. That's what he says earlier on. So that's why he led them here, so that they couldn't go back. There was no way they could go back. Every one of them couldn't get, not one of them could go back. Whether they believed or not, they were, in the, they were on the other side. And that's a wonderful picture of what God does with us. When we get born again, there's no way we can go back. How can you become unborn? It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful picture what Jesus does for us. It's a wonderful picture. We become born from heaven and we can't become unborn because we've been separated completely from our old life. And this is the wonderful picture. We've been separated completely. All the stuff you used to be, you're not that anymore. It's in Egypt, what you were, and it's gone in the sea. Like your sin went in the sea. Isn't it? What a wonderful picture depths of the sea, so you can't see it anymore. Isn't it wonderful what God has done for us? And this is what baptism is showing. That you should go through baptism, you're saying, I died to that old life, I died to my life in Egypt, I died to the life of bondage, of slavery, 
of always being a slave to myself, which is where our bondage is, in sin, and all the things we have, our mind, all the stuff we have in our, in our life, becomes a bondage to us. Doesn't it? I, I, I know how Pam feels. I'm, I, I was, I've, no, my parents did tell me I was adopted. But it's in a shock, isn't it? It's a big shock when you find these things happen in our lives and have a big effect on us. But there's a wall of water between you and that. No. That's not your life anymore. Your life is not that life of bondage anymore. You need to change your mind. That is not your life. You might think, and your emotions and things tell you that, but the word of God said that's not the truth about you anymore. You're not under that bondage of the Egypt anymore. You don't, you're not a slave to your emotions. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a slave to the, the, your thought patterns you used to have, which always led you down into depression. And, and, oh, poor old me, I can't do anything, and I'm useless and hopeless. That's what I used to be like. But God doesn't, he changes that about us. And he changes us. In the inside, you see, it's not that we make a decision, that we do make a decision, but we find that it's a miracle thing of God. He comes in and does it. They couldn't have gotten themselves out of Egypt on their own. It was all God. It was all him. And that's the wonderful picture of baptism, that it's all God. Though we make decision, he was behind the decision. <laughs> he was behind the decision, he said to Moses, he called Moses, didn't he? He called Moses. And he said, I've heard those people wailing. He called Abraham. Abraham didn't call God. God called Abraham. And God calls us. That's God's prerogative to call who he will. And that's what he's done with us. Everyone in this room. These facts are for you. Everyone. None of you are outside of these ideas, of these truths. They're true for every Christian. Everyone who's born from heaven. These are true. Doesn't matter what I feel like, what I wake up thinking, these things are true from heaven. We'll see a few more truths. You see. Let's have a look at this. When we see this in Luke, in Luke, Paul, Jesus says, I have a baptism that I'm going to go through, which you'll never go through. He's talking to them, didn't he? He talked, I've got a baptism. I'm going to be immersed into something. And they said, well, well, but you know, he said, you can't go. But he said, eventually, he said, well, you will actually go in the same baptism as me. And we can see this picture of Jesus' baptism into death. He was immersed into death. It just didn't, it wasn't just something that happened to his body. The whole of him was immersed into death. He died. Or he put, he died for us, our sin. And that's why when he became sin, who knew no sin, that's why it went black for three whole hours. Because God could not look upon his son because his judgment was upon him. And that's part of the baptism of water, of, of, sort of the spirit, and of fire. Because there's a judgment on our old life. There's a judgment on our old life. Our old life has been judged and it's gone. It's gone. Isn't that wonderful? There's a purification fire on our life as well, isn't it? It changes us. So when, when we have a look at this, let's have a look now at, at um, Romans 6. 
And we can see the whole, this, this broad picture of baptism, it all means the same thing. It means this washing, this cleansing from our old life. Romans 6, now Jesus has made, so Paul has made a very bold statement about when the law came and that the more you sin, the more grace has, has poured upon your life because the sin, wherever sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so Paul realises that people are going to say, oh, well, maybe if I sin, the more I sin, <laughs> the more grace of God will be upon my life. And so he says, oh, no, 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 no. He says, no. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? That's why he's saying this. This is an answer to a question which people are going to say. Because grace abounds more and more and more, where, where sin abounds, he says, should we carry on sinning then so we get more grace? And he says, oh, no. No, no, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer to it? Know ye not. You should know this, he said. You know this. That so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death. It's the same picture. We're baptised into his death. When, where he died, we died. When he died on that cross, you died. And that's what happens. We put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. When he died, I died. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It says, there we saw, we were buried with baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have planted, and that's an if, not maybe, no, it's an if, and it is, but so since it could be said, you have been planted together in the likenesses of his death, shall ye also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, he said, another knowing, that our old man, that's the person we used to be, the person you used to be, was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be made with no effect henceforth that we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now I remember what, looking at my father at the, at the, at the, at the um, undertaker's and he wasn't sinning anymore. Because he was dead. He was free from sin. He wasn't going to sin. Nothing would affect him, was it? <laughs> he didn't react badly against what was going on. He was dead. And it's the same. When, he, when Christ puts us into his, life, into his death, we died to the old life. Just the same as they died to Egypt. And we're raised in newness of life. Wow. Knowing that he that is dead is free from sin. And if we be dead with Christ, we should believe we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised, dieth, sorry, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead. You have to reckon. This is, the word here is a reckoning. It's accounting. It's an accounting term. Right? It's, it's an accounting term. You have to reckon. You have to count yourself dead. Your old nature. Count it dead because it is dead, you said. That's what we have to think. Now, it's very difficult because our emotions, our feelings, can become, our feelings, what we have in this flesh, can become very strong and can tell us that we're this, we're that and the other. I've done this wrong, I'm this, all the sort of stuff. 
and I'm a failure, all the stuff we used to think. But that, we have to reckon it dead. That it was buried and baptised into that death. As Pam went under the water, that was her saying, my life, that old life I used to have, is gone. In fact, in reality, it has gone. As far as God's concerned, it's completely gone. And there are many things, and as we go along, and as Pam and everybody else goes along in the life, you'll suddenly become to understand how much of it is gone, and how he's put a new life in you. It's not that I try and become a Christian, but he said, I've been born from heaven. So that's the new nature. And this is the wonderful thing about being a Christian, that we're new people. We're new people. We're we're being quickened. We're being quickened by God. Look, in Ephesians, he says a very similar thing. You'll see this lots of places where similar ideas are being said about the same thing, using different, uh, different speech. In Ephesians 2, we find a wonderful thing. We were dead in sins. It says, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So we were dead and we, buried, we died with Christ, but we were raised with Christ. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. It's disobedience that people have. It's rebellion against God. And we see it in this world all the time. People want their own way. So we've got people who, who live a certain lifestyle, want everybody to accept it because that's, that's my right. It's, and everybody wants their own right. But that's rebellion against God. To live the life, instead of being what, submitted to God, that's, they're only submitted, they're submitted to anybody. They just want to do their own thing and want to live their life and doing whatever they want. And that's why we have to have laws to try and curtail this tendency of sin to try and be, so, we can have a, so we can live with one another. You see. But this, this thing, it says we were like that. Among whom? We also had our conversation or our way of life in times past. In the desires of our flesh, for fallen desires of our flesh and the mind, and we're as nature, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. That's what's happened. You died with Christ, but he didn't leave you dead. What was the point of leaving you dead? It wasn't that we were just having our sins forgiven, but he gave us a new life. Because if we just had our sins forgiven, we'd be the same. But we had to have a new life to live. So he raised us together in Christ. Notice what it means. This is to get this. This is this being baptised this, what's the word about? This thing of being, this flowing with it, with this, this thing of Christ. I've forgotten the word. <laughs> immersed. We're immersed into Christ. That's this baptism. So my brain went off there for a minute. We were immersed into Christ. That's the, that's the whole picture. As we were immersed, in our old life, we're now immersed in Christ. And, we, and because he's died, we died. And because he's been raised, we've been raised. Because we've been immersed in him. It's a wonderful picture. We're with him. This is called the union of Christ. We're the union. 
of Christ with us. This mystical union that he does, he, he says, and he says, look, well, he goes on, he says, look, it's wonderful. Look, when, who's, when, when you were dead, you were raised together with Christ, who have raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places, in the heavenlies with Christ. Now, we didn't deserve that, did we? We didn't deserve to be raised into the heavenlies and sit with Christ together with him. You see, this is this, this, this union together with him. Isn't it wonderful? That's what he's done, this baptism. And we're baptised into his death, with, and we're raised in him. That we're immersed in his death, and we're immersed in his life. <laughs> You're immersed in his life. <laughs> but it's also important to realise you're immersed in his death. Because we're all sure... You're like somebody who's got a bad leg and he's always dragging it behind him, like a huge burden behind. But it's gone. The old man is gone. The old rotter is gone. <laughs> that's it. And that's what you have to believe because your life will tell you something different. Your emotions and your feelings will tell you something different. But the word of God says that life you used to live in Egypt has gone and you can't go back there. There's no way you can go back. Because the seas come over and you've happened. <laughs> and that's a wonderful truth. And no wonder we're so joyful. And that's why I love singing these songs about what Jesus has done for us, because it, it just affirms what Christ has done in my life. It says actually in Ephesians, in Galatians 3, 27, just go back a couple of pages. Right. He's talking about the law. And the Lord was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. When it says in verse 26, that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster of the law that was, that was to lead us to Christ. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's by putting our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. That's what that means. We put our faith into Christ Jesus, what he did on the cross. For as many of you as been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. So not only, he's put on, you've put on Christ. You've been immersed in Christ. Isn't it wonderful? In um, Colossians 1.27, I love these verses. It says, he's talking about the mystery that was hidden before the foundation of the world. Even the mystery which was hid from ages, from generations, is now made manifest to the saints. It's been made known to us to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. So not only are we in Christ, and, he's cover, and we are, he's, he's covers us, we're in him. It's a, a whole, we're part of him. Now let's go read. This is, you know, then you can understand why Jesus prayed, didn't he? He said, pray that they may be one, even as I am one. That we're one with him in his death and in his life. That's what he's praying about, that we may be one, not that just that they may have agreed. No, 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 no. We're united with him in oneness, with him because of what he did on the cross. And that's what was being shown this morning. My old life has gone, I'm united in the death of Christ, and my new life has come, I'm united in the life of Christ. And both are really important, aren't they? We can see we sang a, a song, I'm a new creation. 
which comes from 2 Corinthians, a well-known, very well-known verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. So if you've had this baptism into Christ in reality, and you've been immersed into Christ in this reality, then, he says, you are a new creation, a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that new creature means a new of something completely different, not just another creature. It's something completely new. You are a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by, Je by Jesus Christ. You see? That's what he did by his death. He reconciled us to Jesus Christ because our sin went, he died for our sin. We were under condemnation. It says we, we were under condemnation. He said, those who don't believe, it says in, Rome, in John 3, 18, are already under condemnation. They're, all, they're already. He didn't come to bring condemnation because people were already under condemnation. But he said, if you believe, you won't be under condemnation. You'll have a new life. You'll have everlasting life. And, that's what, and so we believe what Jesus did on the cross. And that faith in that makes us become new creations. And it's so simple. But it's, <laughs> that's, that is the reason it's, many people miss it is because it has to be revealed by God. And God moves on our life to cause us in, to come into that life. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing. And then we can understand when it talks about in, that, in Titus 3.5 what he's saying here. When we talked about this washing and being clean before God. Titus 3, it's just before Hebrews. 3.5. He says, For we were sometimes, I'm going to start at verse 3, were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various desires and pleasures, living in anger, malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Saviour, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, not by what you've done, have we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that's what he does. He renews us. It's this washing and renewing, the baptizing, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a wonderful picture? That's a super picture of what God does for us. And that's, those are truths which we, we need to get and see more and more in the Bible. As we read it, we suddenly find these things are really true. So, I want to just go back to Egypt. What were they like in Egypt? And what were we like in the world before we knew Christ? Now, some of us are quite religious because we'd been brought up in church. But other people who don't know, have never knew anything about God at all. There's a, for them, there's a great transformation. But even for the person who is religious... There has to be, there has this transformation has to happen. And maybe we don't quite understand when we're, we're I, don't, I, I think as I've gone along, I've understood more and more of what I was really like as you go on in life, especially when you get married. 
<laughs> you suddenly find out what you're really like. <laughs> you thought you were a nice person. <laughs> Until you get married. Somebody said that's what marriage is for, to show us what we're really like. <laughs> Especially us men. Uh, we think we're so, we're so good sometimes, don't we? <laughs> and you get married and you suddenly find you've got somebody else to live with 24 hours a day. <laughs> Seven days a week. And there's start, there comes clashes and things. And you think, oh, really? Is a rat react like that? <laughs> but that's God, isn't it? And you suddenly find out what you're really like. And you think, well, that's what God has saved me from. And that's a wonderful thing. And so in, in Egypt, they were under bondage, just like we were under bondage. They were slaves to their masters. And we have a, there's a master of our old nature, who's a master. There's a devil as well who's a master over us, you know, over, over the whole of this earth. He, he keeps us under slavery. But when Christ comes, that changes completely. You see. And they were taken out by the power of God. It was the Spirit of God who led them. It wasn't the Moses. It was the Spirit of God who led them. Moses just followed along. He just followed the cloud. And the Spirit of God. And that's what happens to your life and my life. That's what happened to Pam. The Spirit of God did that. He brought her here. He, he, he caused her to be like the way. And it's the same with every one of us today. That's what God has done for us. What we were in Christ. But what we are now is something completely different. When we become born again, there are some pictures we can see here about our having what God has done. Let's have a look in Exodus 12, 35. They didn't just leave Egypt with nothing. They came out with a lot. It's 12.35. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled Egypt. So they came out with all this stuff, and God gives us loads of stuff. When we come into the kingdom of God, he gives us stuff, the raiment, he gives a garment of righteousness, it says. Don't we? We have this garment of righteousness, which is a type of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 says, Christ is made unto us righteousness. So we, 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 they came out wearing other people's clothes. They came out, didn't come out wearing slaves' clothes, they came out wearing the, the Egyptians' clothes. And they went in, and, that, and the other thing was, that they never wore out. The Egyptians' clothes, they didn't wear out. Forty years they wore them. And they never wore out, it says in Deuteronomy, until they got into the Promised Land. So they went out with, the Egypt, with someone else's clothes, and they came all the way in to the Promised Land, wearing the same clothes they hadn't worn out. And it's the same thing when we are in Christ. We, Christ, we wear Christ, we may wear another man's righteousness. We're in Christ, and they don't wear out. The righteousness that God has given you does not wear out. Isn't that wonderful? The shoes, they came out with shoes. They didn't wear out either. When we walk through this life in faith, in the gospel of, of, of peace, 
It never wears out. It's going to have the same power from the day you first heard it until you breathe your last breath. It will still, your shoes of salvation, these shoes you walk in, the gospel of peace, will always be on your feet in this world till we get through into, into, into the next life. Unleavened bread. Unleaven in the Bible always speaks of sin. It's a picture of sin. And they came out with unleavened bread. They didn't come out with any sin. Isn't that wonderful? Didn't come out with any sin. Wonderful picture of what God has done when we come out under, by God's, by the power of God. There was no sin. They came out with strength. Let's look in Psalm 105. And this is a lovely little picture. Psalm 105, verse 37. Now, he's, Moses, the psalmist is retelling the story of the Egyptians. And he, he, he's, he's given them some things. He said, And he smote also the firstborn in the land, and the chief of their strength, and he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among the tribes. God becomes our strength. There's not one feeble person. You can't say that you can't do what God asks you to do because they are not feeble. There's no feeble person. If God asks you to do something, he gives you the power to do it. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Now he's talking about whether he has enough or doesn't have enough. Whether he's under persecution, doesn't matter. I can be, I, he says, I can be all things through Christ because Christ becomes our strength to do what he calls us to do. Paul knew he was going to go through awful things, but God always kept him going because the strength of God is in us, isn't it? Because we have Christ in us. He's our strength. And the last verse is in Exodus 15, 26. This is my last little verse, or the last little bit I'm going to look at. He said, if they diligently, they've gone through the Red Sea, I know they're coming, they've come through to the, into the desert, and he said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all these things that I've told you, I will put none of the diseases upon you, which I brought upon the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am the Lord that healeth you. No. That's an interesting little verse. If they kept what God told them to do, if they followed Moses and did what Moses said, what he said through Moses, these things wouldn't happen to them. Now, how does that work for us? Well, that works for us is that what we have to do is to keep his command. And what is his command? His command is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and will be saved. That's his command. And if you do that, he'll be the God who heals you. Because you'll be born again. Let's look at it. He says in 1 Peter 5, 16, he's talking about sin here.
I hope this is right, 5.16. No, it's not. I've got the wrong verse there. By his stripes, it talks about by his stripes you're being healed. 3.16, is it? Anyway, he's talking about, I've got it wrong, I've got it written down. Oh, here we are, is it? Anyway, we talk, pardon? 2.24. Oh, yes, here we are. Who by his own self bear our sins. Don't ask me how I got that down there. Anyway, don't worry. <laughs> Who bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. For by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but we've now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. You see, he, he becomes our healer. He heals all our sin, but he also heals our because we're in Christ and he's our healer, he, he does a, an enormous amount of healing in the whole of us. When we talk about healing, and the Jews talked about healing, it wasn't just a physical healing, it was a whole person. Their emotions, everything about them. Their emotions, their spirit, they're all about the whole of the person to be healed. He talked about that land being healed, that the land would be healed so it would be fruitful. And that's what he's talking about in your life. That you might be fruitful in believing in Jesus Christ. That your life may be a fruitful life. That's it. Here we go. For Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. This is in a little bit further on that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which some... So he now talks about the, the, the spirits in prison, that those are in... This is the disobedient ones before the flood, who in the days of Noah, while Noah, while the ark was prepared, wherein few that his eight souls were saved. In a like figure, wherefore even baptizing, baptism doth also save us, not the putting off of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience before God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's what he's done. That's what he's done in this baptism. We, whether we feel like it or not, whatever the Monday morning feels like, Tuesday morning, late night on Friday night, whatever day, 24 hours a day, this truth about you is the truth. That you are united with Christ. You were united to Christ in his death and your old life disappeared. You had a new life. You become a new creation and all things have become of God. And that's what baptism's about. It's about this God washing you completely of your old life and giving you a new one. And that's the most incredible thing. It's the most incredible thing. And that's what we've been celebrating with Pam. She's entered into a new life and we're going to spend eternity with her. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to spend eternity. You got to spend eternity with me. <laughs> and it's wonderful, isn't it, what God has done when he, can, when he sent his son. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us this morning. 
Let us never forget what you've done. Let us never forget your greatness and your glory in sending Jesus. And that you did it all for us. When you said it was finished on the cross, you meant it. Our old lives at that point were finished as far as you were concerned and you gave us a new life. We just thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. That's why we want to say thank you all the time to you for what you've done for us. You've caused us to be united with you, in relationship with you, with new life with you, sons and daughters of the living God. We just thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can avail yourself, if you want to, to know Jesus. And you can avail yourself for healing from a God who is your healer this morning. So if Luke, Luke will want to pray for people, we'll pray for you if you want. And there are all more, there's more than one healing. It's not just physical healing. Because a lot of us, we need God to come and do something inside our lives. And that's something we can't do. Sometimes we, there's times when you think, how do I get to where I want to, I can see where I should be, and I can't get there. But he said, if you call on the Lord, you'll be saved to be able to get there. Isn't he wonderful this, this morning? He's such a good God this morning. Leave out Luke. Ha, 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 ha.